and during some of the toughest times, I have a little piece of paper in my wallet that I keep all the time, even to this moment, uh, of different things that I that mean to me, different sayings that mean a lot to me, uh, things that I strive for, recognizing my responsibility to give back. Reoccurring mantra I got into in college where I would just say, I'm going to break the mold. Two days after my second injury, my dad flew out to Indiana and we drove home. Went right up to my room, slept for a day, and then I woke up the next morning, I spray-painted my wall. No quitting me. I remember, you know, there is no quitting me and I won't, you know, I won't give up. The number one thing you gotta remember is your transferring energy. And whatever energy you got is the energy the viewers are going to have. You are listening to Intentional Performers with Brian Levinson, where we talk with experts of craft about their journey and what they have intentionally done to be their best self. As we talk with them, the hope is that we uncover intentional gems that you can use in your life. Now... Let's kick it over to Brian to introduce this week's guest. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Intentional Performers Podcast. I am Brian Levinson. Excited to have you today with us for another great episode. But before we get to today's guest, I'd like to share a bit more about myself. So I work as an executive coach and a mental performance coach, and I founded a company called Strong Skills. At Strong Skills, our team is on a mission to change how the world thinks about soft skills. See, we believe that labeling competencies like leadership, teamwork, and communication as soft devalues and minimizes the importance of these skills. And one of the strong skills that we teach is what we call shift your mind. And the teachings come from my book, which came out last October. If you enjoyed today's conversation or any of our past guests, I know you're going to love the book. I actually share a lot of the information that I gleaned from conversations like today in the book. And you can head over to Amazon or anywhere that books are sold to purchase. And you can even listen to the book via Audible. Thanks to all of you who have already purchased. And I've been overwhelmed by the responses that the book has gotten so far. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Additionally, when I'm not writing and I'm not recording this podcast, I love providing one-on-one coaching for executives. So I've run something called an accelerator and the accelerator is designed for executives who are interested in growing, learning, and figuring out how they can lead and perform better. Our next accelerator launches in January and is actually starting to fill up now. So if you're interested in learning more, feel free to email me, brian at strongskills.co. Once again, that's brian at strongskills.co. And we're excited to launch the accelerator in 2022. Lastly, if you enjoyed today's episode or any of our previous conversations, we'd love it if you went over to iTunes and wrote us a review. It really does help us expand our reach. And thanks to all of you who have already done so. And let's continue to share these intentional performers with the world. Now to today's guest. 
I mentioned earlier that I do executive coaching and I'm a big believer in one-on-one coaching and creating a group community. And Lindsay Kaplan is the co-founder and chief brand officer of Chief. And Chief is doing something remarkable when it comes to building community. They are a private network designed specifically for women leaders at the rising VP level through all the way up to the CEO. And their goal is to strengthen their experience in the C-suite cross-pollinate power across industries and affect change from the top down. And Lindsay's going to talk about why Chief exists and why she believes at some point she hopes that they actually don't have to exist down the road. But Lindsay is an award-winning marketer and one of the things that I really appreciate is how she takes words that the human and that society thinks mean one thing or connotate a certain word and she flips that on its head. It's very similar to what we're trying to do with strong skills. She's also a communication strategist who previously served as VP of communications and brand at Casper. Lindsay was named at New York Times deal book groundbreaker, brand innovators 40 under 40, and business insiders most innovative CMOs in the world. And as I said, what she's building with Chief, I believe is a game changer. I have clients who have engaged with Chief and have found it to be really, really helpful. At her core, Lindsay is an innovator. She is somebody who cares about challenging the status quo, shaking things up, and making this world a little bit of a better place. And one note that I just want to point out is we did record this virtually, and the internet was not as strong as it typically is for a lot of these conversations. So you may hear some lost in translation moments during our conversation today, but after I finished recording, I said, you know what, I think this conversation is so rich and so helpful, we're gonna run with it. And so we did edit it a little bit to try to make it flow as smoothly as possible, but I did wanna give a heads up in case you were wondering at certain points, hey, did that flow correctly or what happened there? So we did the best we could and we felt like uh, the final product was strong enough. And there have been times over the course of the podcast, last four and a half years of doing this, that there are times where we don't actually publish what we recorded. So I feel very, very good about how this turned out. We re-listened to it and we feel like it'll add value to your life. So without further ado, I'm so excited to present to you, Lindsay Kaplan. Lindsay, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Big shout out to Kara Bebis for connecting the two of us. I've known Kara's family for quite a long time. And she told me everything that was going on at Chief and I followed up with her. I said, you know what? I'd love to talk to these chiefs of chiefs. And and here we are. Um, And I wanted to start with the word chief because I think it's such a powerful word. It's such a strong word. I'm curious for you, what was the process like to land with this word? And um, how does it land with people and resonate with people? But walk us through the process to land at that word. Yeah, well, first of all, thank you so much for chatting and for opening with such a good question. the word chief I love because chief comes from the Latin head. It is used as a, as in business to mean, you know, the leader. Um, it, similarly in the kitchen, it's used chef, right? And um, when we decided on the name chief, there was a lot of pushback, particularly as we went to go raise our first um, round of funding. So many investors said, 
God, that sounds so masculine. You really have to change the name, right? She sounds so masculine. I can't tell it to women. And I was like, great, that's the point, right? The point is the fact that you hear the word chief and you think of a man, that is broken. And so I love the word chief. I love that it, um, it makes people stop and think. As we started Chief, which is an organization uh, vetted for executive women in leadership positions, um, I wanted to make sure that it didn't feel gendered, meaning I didn't want it to you know, be called ladybossesunite.com. Um, I didn't want the colors pink and purple and red. Conversely, I also didn't want the colors to be blue and to feel like in order for us to think about what the opposite of girly looks like, it has to look uber masculine. And so I love the word chief. We settled on our colors as green and gold, which depending on who you ask is calm. It is money. It is power. It is academic. It is gender neutral. Um, and I think about our goal, which is to change the face of leadership and to truly in the future, when you think of the word chief, when I ask you to draw what a CEO looks like, right now, men and women both draw men. And so I really want to disrupt what it is we think about when we hear that word, when we think about what a boss looks like, what a leader looks like. And I, I want the word chief to stand for something totally different. What are your for lack of a better word, clients or customers, what's their reaction to that word when they first hear it? Is there any pause or hesitation on owning and embracing that word? Or what do you find when you listen to them and hear from them? Well, our members are, are again, executive women. So these are women who are generally, depending on the company and title, generally VP through C-suite. And so, so many of them have chiefs in their title already or are on their way to, to owning that title. So generally our members love the name chief. They feel proud of the name chief. Um, and it's been helpful for us to really not cower away from what we are looking to do and our mission in front of us. There's another word that I think of when I think of women that are doing amazing things, whether it's in sport or business or music, there's a word that just pops out often and it's badass. Mm -hmm. And as a man, I am always curious about how that lands with women when we call them a badass. And a lot of times it's not just badass. People will say that's a badass woman. And perhaps you've gotten that before. Hey, Lindsay's a badass woman. When you hear that word on its own, what comes to mind for you? And then when you hear that word together with woman, how does that sit with you and how does that land with you? Well, I'm a fan of the phrase badass and I like it because I've used it for men and women, right? And I, I tend to hate words that are only used with women. Uh, like uh, personal worse is poise, right? I would never say that a man is poised, right? Um, I love badass because I call guys badass. I call women badass. I myself have been called one uh, a handful of times. So I, I love it. I love anything that um, to me connotes strength, uh, power, but also that word to me has a, has a bit of rebellion associated with it, which I love because I am somebody that is mildly anti-authority that really likes to uh, question, um, question and poke and prod and, and change things. 
I'm just very unsatisfied with the status quo. And I think that's a real badass element. Where does that come from for you being desirous of challenging the status quo? I think it's innate. I think that I was um, born a, and I'm going to use a gendered word. I think I was born a difficult woman. (laughs) I was raised in um, a really lovely small town in upstate New York that was very homogenous. And I always felt different. And I, I knew, I mean, I'm, I'm white. It's a very white town that I was raised in lovely town. Um, And I think maybe because I was aware that I was Jewish and that every other kid went to church, I felt somewhat different. Um, And it felt, it felt very much like I, I questioned what I was learning in class. I questioned why all of the boys played football and why the girls joined brownies. Um, And I just felt so interested in, in asking why things were done the way they've been done they didn't seem to really make sense to me. And I remember telling my mom, I was interested in trying out for the football team. And she was like, Lindsay, you hate sports. You were so unathletic. Like, why? Why would you honestly then, like she thought I was joking. And I didn't try out for the football team. Uh, It's not an exciting story. But I remember thinking like, why aren't some of the athletic girls at least trying out? Like, what is with, what is it with this, with the way society is functioning, that everyone seems to just kind of nod their head and and agree with like, this is the way things are. So I think it's innate. I just enjoy questioning why society is set up the way it is, why some people seem to be uh, enjoying the construct around them. And um, I have always gravitated towards weirdos who seem to question a little bit, dig in, read, explore, um, and understand that things are a little bit deeper than what reality showcases in front of you. Were you considered a weirdo in high school? I think so. I wasn't an overt weirdo. I, I didn't dress very weird, um, but I was definitely more of um, a kid on the sidelines that was, you know, nose deep in books, um, music, art. I, I was an artsy kid. Uh, and I definitely, when I left that small town and went to college I found other weirdos and I think that's been a trend for me in life and I say that word weirdo with so much affection right like that to me is an ultimate compliment when I say like you're a weirdo too Um, because I I just love people who march to the beat of their own drum who find things in life that they gravitate towards and that kind of make their own path forward so I uh, I've it's been a habit of mine throughout um, finding myself. It's by finding other people that are weird and interesting and different and unique um, and don't necessarily, um, you know, kind of go with, go with the flow. You mentioned going to your mom and saying, Hey, I want to try out for the football team. And she's sort of yeah. looking at you like a weirdo. Yeah. How, did you, how did your parents nurture you to make sure that your uniqueness wasn't stifled? I think my parents made me feel very smart and special. Um, I think that I was probably not like a people are making fun of me loser growing up, but I didn't really belong. And I never felt uh, ever in the in crowd. And my parents made me feel like that was fine and it's okay. And I'm a smart person and I'll figure it out. And so I think 
they very much could have gone overboard and, you know, pulled me out of school and sent me to a private school and helicopter parented. And they didn't certainly do that. Um, and I think they kind of like to use, to use a, uh, <laughs> today's parlance, I think they kind of just like normalized me being an intellectually driven artistic kid without making me necessarily feel like I had to go out and I had this pressure to perform anything that was interesting or different or unique about me. And these questions are very selfish because I have a daughter who is four and a half and is fierce. She is strong. She is creative. She is defiant. She is independent. And our son, who's a year older, is very different. And when you said it's innate, like my wife and I talk about it, like she has a big personality and she's unique. And as a parent, defiance is a challenge yeah. for the parent. But we joke like that defiance is going to serve her in so many other ways when she becomes an adult. And so it, it is very much, I, I love learning from other people because I need to be very intentional about how I nurture her because she's got so many gifts to give to the world. And um, she's challenged. she can be challenged when she is in defiant mode. Even little things this morning before they go to camp, we're putting sunscreen on. My son just lets me put it all on him. Her, she wants to do it herself. And that should be a good thing. But when you're trying to get to camp, you're trying to rush out the door. It's like, yeah. come on, let's do it. Any other advice that you would give to parents of a child who might beat to their own drum or be a little defiant? Well, I have a five and a half year old who also, and that is the way we describe Max, which is he marches to the beat of his own drum. And I, I think there's a fine line between allowing someone to just be themselves and a bit of a hands-off approach to like not trying to um, make that child feel like they are so special and so unique. And so it's, it's a real balance right? Being a parent, making sure your child feels good about who they are without necessarily feeling like they are too different from everybody else, right? Yeah. And so, you know, it's the trouble with being a parent is there's no, there's no right or wrong way to parent your kids because there's, there's a million little interactions you do every day and into how your child grows. But again, I believe this is so much of our kids' personalities are innate that just you being good to your kids, however they are, that is like baseline being a great parent. Yeah, the best thing that I ever heard on nature and nurture was this idea of nurturing nature. And mm. to your point, like they come into the world with a nature and then our job as parents is to serve them and nurture that nature. Their job, they didn't come into the world to serve us. Like yep. they came out with them and our job is we're the parent and our job is to try to nurture it. Um, you said something earlier that caught my attention, though, which was the word belong. Like, I didn't really belong. I was Jewish, but nobody else was. I was kind of this artsy, this belonging piece. And then I think about what you're doing at Chief, which is community, mm -hmm. and you're creating a space of belonging for women um, to bring their creative selves, but also to have support. Can you talk about belonging and how perhaps you're trying to create, and if I'm assuming this, feel free to correct me to create a community that, that you would want, that would be there for someone like you and finding the other Lindsay's of the world to support them and what belonging looks like at Chief. Absolutely. When you fast forward and start looking up the ranks at directors, VPs, C-suites, 
we all see that even women dominated fields like fashion, like uh, publishing, still led predominantly by white men. And so if it gets lonely at the top, it gets lonely a lot faster when you're a woman because suddenly all of that community you meet at work starts to evaporate as you become the leader, as decisions matter more than ever. And now as a woman in charge, you're not only tasked with leading your org and making these big decisions, Suddenly, for me, I found myself being asked to speak on panels and to mentor women. And so I really wanted to create a community of women who were going through being a leader and what that meant and, and trying to alleviate the loneliness that comes with being a leader. But whether you call it imposter syndrome, whether you say it's lonely at the top, whatever it is, there's so much happening when you become this leader that I really wanted to create a community of other powerful women who were going through same similar uh, issues, both personally, professionally, um, and yes, create a feeling of belonging for people who have so much pressure on them coming from so many different directions that, that women at this level could learn from one another, really foster support community, um, and, and help us not only continue to get to the top, but stay there when we get there. Because we know there is a glass cliff. We know that women often get to the top and get pushed right off. And so uh, Chief's goal is to create this community to make sure that there is a sense of belonging that is helpful, not just for the women, but that they can create a ripple effect in their organizations to help other women get to the top as well. Why do you think imposter syndrome is not a real thing? I think imposter syndrome is, um, it's almost like a, a, the name of a disease that is narrowed down because of symptoms, right? Like what are the symptoms that are actually defining what it means to have imposter syndrome, right? It is, it is fear and paranoia. It is self-esteem. It is, uh, it is, it is the drive to make sure you keep going, um, that people are, are nipping at your feet. I think there's so much more there to unpack and to say you as an individual have imposter syndrome really puts the onus on, on her in this case, instead of saying, well, actually, have we created an environment that makes her feel like that, right? Like if she's in the boardroom and she's one of the few women does she feel comfortable at the table? Is she getting the support that she needs? Does she have an executive coach? Who is she talking to? So I really think imposter syndrome is more a, a group of symptoms created by the environment than it actually is something that, that she herself is responsible for. Hmm. Never heard about it in that way. And I'm thinking about psychological safety being sort of the antidote to imposter syndrome. Can we create a a room or an environment, let's just use the boardroom that is psychologically safe so that that person does not feel like an imposter. And what are we doing? And I'm saying we, I would even say, white, what, what am I doing to try to make it so that those that might feel like they're an imposter don't, that's an interesting, that's an interesting thought. I really have. Well, look, I, you know, growing up, we all see what does a leader look like? What does every president accepting one, uh, every president has been a white guy, right? All of the titans of industry have been white men. And that's fine. I'm not here to say like, 
you know, everybody move over. But if, when we grow up in a world where all we see, again, what does chief look and sound like? It is a, it is a man. And so no wonder anybody would feel like an imposter. No wonder a woman would say, I'm in this role and my whole life, as I pictured this role, it never looked and sounded like me. Mm. I mean, how is it her? Like, why is that something that she now has to overcome, right? Like, let's actually start thinking about what's in place to make her feel secure. What's in place to make her feel supported? It's so interesting because you said they're all white men and Barack Obama, right? Not a white man. And so where my, where my mind actually went when you, you said that accidentally is not, oh, I, uh, Lindsay screwed up. It's, well, what's the pressure that's on Barack Obama? What's the pressure on, um, of, of the first, uh, that person and, and, and how do they handle that? And where's the support for that? And the misnomer that we believe that just because there was one, like the Oprah Winfrey's of the world, you mentioned publishing, like for yeah. years, it was like, well, look at Oprah. She's a billionaire and she's successful. It's like, okay, well, she she might be the only. And so what's yeah. it like to be an only? And even if you get one, that doesn't, that's still, it's not like, okay, now everything's all good. Look at that one person that we have. So when you hear me talking in, in those terms, what comes up for you? Well, I did mention that there was accepting one, all of our presidents. And I do think about the vitriol and the amount of um, racism that was that was just, you know, the birtherism that that Barack Obama had to deal with. And so when we think about the pressure, the unfair pressure that is on these breakaways that have made it right, that have the the Oprah's of the world, um, you know, it's interesting to think about what I referred to earlier as this glass cliff phenomenon. So many times a company that is not doing great brings on a woman, right? Let's change everything. Let's bring in a young woman to lead the helm. And so we're setting up a lot of our different faces for failure because we're bringing them in precisely to, to make change happen. Change is tough. We're, we're not looking at the long-term in business. We're generally looking at these quarterly results. And that's how the glass cliff uh, becomes a phenomenon that works against women and people of color. We're expecting different results. We are holding them to a totally different standard. We're not giving them the psychological safety. And it's miraculous that, that we've seen men, women of color, you know, stay in these positions given how much is up against them. So at what moment do you and your partner, Carolyn, realize, hey, we need to launch this thing and help people uh, get more support that are similar to us, like walk me through that journey and how you got to that point. Well, it's pretty simple. We um, both were going through the feeling of being this woman leader in our startups. Um, I was working at Casper, the mattress startup. Um, She was working at Handy, um, essentially serving as COO without the title. And we both felt like we had been to women's networking events. We didn't really like it. Uh, We had, you know, kind of looked around for executive coaching. It was a fortune. Um, And we were very inspired by YPO, which is a young president's organization. It's an incredible nonprofit that brings together CEOs, presidents, um, because it's lonely at the top. 
And so what YPO does is once you can get through and you, you make the application, because again, vetted network, um, they put all of their members into 10-person forums. And so we were really inspired by the smaller group camaraderie that comes out of these 10-person groups. And that's what inspired Chief. And, and it's not just a network. Yes, you're joining, if you were to join Chief, a network of over 6,000 incredibly powerful women. But we split up all of our members into these 10-person groups based off of different industry, different role, different functions, really have a personal board of directors. These groups meet once a month. And the idea is you have this confidential safe space to talk about stuff that nobody else gets because leading a company is hard. And there's lots out there for moms. There's lots out there for business owners. But when you become an executive at a company and you have all of this pressure, there's just not a lot of spaces and communities that I think women are comfortable engaging, talking, and being fully uh, transparent in. So um, these, these spaces were important for me and my co-founder, Carolyn. We thought that's what we needed. I think what shocked us was the immediate traction we saw when we launched Chief. So we went out. It was a slog. We raised our seed, um, so raised $3 million from some incredible investors. Very lucky to do so. And then, you know, expected, okay, we'll get 100 people to join. Maybe over the course of, you know, every month, we'll get 20, 25 more women to join. We launched with 200. And pretty soon, we were up to 1,000. And it kept growing. And this was not our network. It's not like I was calling my friends. I don't have that many friends. <laughs> this, is, this was just pure product market fit. We were cold emailing women at Fortune 50 companies who were like, done, sounds great, sign me up. And so to see that, that need being filled and to hear the word of mouth of women sharing with their colleagues, with, with other people on their board that wanted something like this was incredibly encouraging. So it wasn't just something that we felt we needed. Clearly, other women wanted this too. But was entrepreneurship something that you had envisioned for yourself? It wasn't, which is silly, because I come from a family of entrepreneurs. My, uh, my, my grandparents, my father, like everybody in my family um, is an entrepreneur. And yet, I don't know, artsy background didn't really put two and two together. Um, and this is truly the beauty of finding an incredible co-founder. I am creative, content, mission, community. I am a shitty operator. It's just, it's just not what I excel at right? Like, and my co-founder, Carolyn is a beast. She is the world's greatest operator. And so to find somebody that really knew how to drive a business forward and for us to really kind of come together in this yin yang relationship felt incredible. And I learned from her every single day about how to be a better leader, a better manager, a better business owner. Um, and I'm just, incredibly lucky and fortunate that we came together to create Chief. So you mentioned Young Presidents Organization, and I'm very familiar. My dad was in it, and then um, I have facilitated a retreat for it. I have coached probably seven or eight people that are in Young Presidents Organization. And I know for a fact that one of the issues that YPO has had is how do we attract more diversity um, within our forums, as you mentioned, those small groups, and then also they call them chapters, the bigger, the bigger groups. 
And, yeah. and so for you, uh, I'm sure there's some modeling going on from what similar to YPO people that I know that do it tend to love it. My best friends in it, but for you, how are you evolving it? How are you trying to make what you do better? And obviously there's a massive difference that you're focused on one gender, but um, talk about how you want to evolve this concept, maybe in a different way from YPO. Well, I think YPO, uh, again, incredible organization, really the, um, the root for us of, of where we wanted to start and a great model as we thought about what community looked like. You know, it's important for us ultimately to change the face of leadership. And so what started as a community for women, I think that is short term where we're going. Longer term, I think there are some questions for us ahead around what does it mean to, to ensure that if we change the face of leadership, this isn't just about women. Um, what does it mean to develop a network that has, that has meaning and could create change from the top down? Um, and what does expansion look like? So it, it opens up more questions for me than I have fully realized answers. Um, but I know this is just the beginning for us. And we're really excited to make sure that our current members love the experience. And, you know, I think a lot about what it means to run a mission-driven company. And so the model for that for so many years was Tom's shoes. And in that model, transaction drives mission, which is to say, buy a pair of shoes, we don't need a pair of shoes. I truly think for chief, mission drives transaction, meaning, yes, we are a VC-backed company. We are, you know, we are certainly thinking about what growth looks like. But our number one metric is renewal. And in order for a member to renew and to stay with Chief long-term, we have to ensure that we're delivering on mission, which is to make sure she feels connected, supported, better in her career, more successful. And so the mission truly drives the business forward in a way that allows us to focus on what really matters um, and to say no to what sounds like a good idea, but could ultimately be distracting from, from our goal. Loneliness, like what a big word for the last year and a half. I will be the first to admit, like I've felt the last year and a half lonely. And, um, you know, I'm somebody who loves friends. I love being around family. I love being at ball games or events and experiences. I love feeling community and I love hosting stuff at our house. And I haven't really been able to do much of that. I've started to, um, but there was a good year there where it's like loneliness. And, and then I think about belonging as something that can combat some loneliness when I feel like I'm part of something bigger than myself. And it is interesting because here I am and we don't need to get into all of my privileges, but there are plenty to go around. And Yet that loneliness, it doesn't really discriminate. Certainly there, I understand the idea that it's lonely at the top and I coach people like that, but it is interesting as you all expand, like if you can be a hub for human loneliness and create belonging for people, there is universal mm -hmm. appeal to that because I think loneliness is a feeling that every human feels at some point in their life. I don't think any of us are immune to feeling lonely. And I'm, I'm curious as to where you all go, because you've also built this quote unquote niche where 
um, you're obviously serving and there's a need and you're calling them and they're saying, sign me up. Um, and I'm always curious about how do you go broad and how do you go niche? And people always have said to me, Brian, you need a niche, this podcast, people are like, you should just focus on these types of people. I'm like, F that that's not fun. I want to talk to everyone, you know, and we talked about it before. Like I like talking to a variety of people because that's where I, I learn best. So how do you figure out how to keep the main thing, the main thing while expanding to serve other people that are in need of your mission? So I think what's interesting about um, Chief is how important it is for us to stay at this executive level. Uh, and it's different from other communities because the second we start expanding uh, lower into lower, more junior levels of experience, suddenly our executives become the, the mentors again, right? And that's exactly why we created the community, which was there's so much pressure on these executives. And then on top of it, we pile on like, go be the spokeswoman, spokesperson, go be on panels. Here's 40 women that want a one-on-one -on -one lunch mentoring session with you. And so for us to deliver on our promise, I can't open the doors. That would be so unfair to our, to our members. It's literally what is bringing them together, which is the sense of, my God, there's so much pressure on me. And I give so much of myself. This is a place for her to be a little bit selfish and to find other women and to lift each other up. And so... Again, when I think about expansion, I'm not sure what it looks like. And I'm not sure if it's under the, you know, literal umbrella of what Chief does today. I think our mission is much bigger and how we tackle that mission is going to be much broader. But for now, we are in cities in America. I think we need to expand across the country. And ultimately, we need to get international because I have talked about global domination. I have talked about Chief being the most powerful network of women in the entire world. And when I think about growth and expansion of community, I think that direction globally more than I'm thinking about other levels, because I'd love more women to get to this level that they can get into Chief. And for us to do that, we have to make sure that our current women executives, again, feel that psychological safety so they can go back into their organizations. They have the, they have the capacity they feel great that they can make changes within their org, bring more women into power and make progressive change from the boardroom level for their companies and for society as a whole. When you say global domination, what's a word that comes to mind that describes how you feel when you say that out loud? Excited. Raring to go. Yeah, I smiled. Words. I was pretty, yeah. I, yeah, I was like, pretty excited about that. So I found it inspiring. So I was just curious to, to see what you were feeling during that as well. Um, I, I get very amped up. It's funny. My, my co-founder, Carolyn, who I adore is very even keeled. It is very hard to rile her up. You know, we could be 10 drinks in and you can't tell, you cannot tell with Carolyn. She can drink me well under the table. Um, and I have enough excitement for both of us. And so when I talk about global domination, I say it, I say it with a smile because I'm excited and I am ready to tackle more because we have so many incredible members and I think Chief can be huge and bigger than it is and really create as much change as possible. I have joked a lot about time travel. I, I do this thing where I'm like, is she joking? Is she serious? I can't tell. I can't either. Um, 
at the current rate of change, it's going to take centuries for women and men to get to parity in the workplace. I don't have centuries. I'm willing to give myself five years. Like I am a race against time. My clock is ticking, right? I want to make sure that when my children are looking around that again, they see a world where women CEOs are everywhere. And already to hear about your daughter and to hear about her marching to the beat of her own drum, it's less about her and how you raise her. And it's more about the world that she's going to live in and what she sees as she grows up. So mm. I'm going to race against time to make that happen. All right. So while you're focused on the ecosystem, I'm going to bring it back to you. And you said something about mentoring and the pressure that you feel to do, you know, this panel, this podcast, right? Like to always be representing what do you do? What systems do you put into place to make sure that you're saying yes to the right things and no, I'm not going to call them the wrong things, but no to other things. Well, I mean, to be candid, I'm bad at systems. So I go with my gut a lot. Um, I am one of those people that was diagnosed late in life with ADHD. I hate systems. Um, and I go with my gut. And so I try to, um, give back as much as I humanly can. And if I can't do something uh, because time won't allow, I'll try to figure out at least a shortcut, right? Like if I can't, if I can't have a call with somebody that desperately wants the call, I would love to do a late night text session when I'm kind of like, you know, when I have half an hour and I can hang out and do two things at once. Um, I don't think there's much bad out there in the world. So there's the right things. I don't know if there are a lot that's the wrong stuff. I think it's more around how I can prioritize my time and make sure that I don't burn out, which again, I am terrible at. I am vacillating between extreme burnout and, um, you know, sleeping till 10. It's one or the other. Yeah. It was the obvious next question for me, which is, all right, if you're going to give to the world in the position you're in what's the downside and the potential downside could be burnout. It's interesting. I spoke to the former CEO of YPO and he might come on the podcast at some point. Scott's his name. Um, do you know Scott? I don't, but we should. I'll, I'll try to connect you with Scott. Um, and I asked Scott, I said, what do you do to manage your calendar? Because I, you know, I, I get hit up a lot for people that are interested in sports psychology or interested in executive coaching. And I always said yes, because my thinking was people did that for me. I have an obligation responsibility to do it. And I like helping people. But then one day I had like back to back to back calls with people that I was helping. And it was like the same conversation over and over again. And so what I started to realize is, gosh, Brian, like this isn't actually filling my cup. Um, it's not actually serving my business and I'm not even sure I'm really serving them because they're not getting the best version of me. And so what I started to implement because Scott recommended it was once a week, I have a time slot for mentoring and I'll, cats out of the bag is at five o'clock on Mondays. And for me, five o'clock on Mondays is it's Monday. So I can't push it out. I got one today. We're recording this on a Monday. I've got a five o'clock uh, with a young woman who we're going to talk about um, sports psychology at any rate, I can't push it back. Right. Because I know if I had five o'clock on Wednesday and something else came and I'm like, Oh, it's probably a higher priority. I'm going to push it. Um, right. so it doesn't get pushed throughout the week. And then five o'clock. Also, I usually have dinner with my family at six o'clock. So it's the end of the day. And, um, if my kids come upstairs, cause now we're working from home. Cool. 
like they come upstairs and that's what I do. So if I have to book it six weeks out, eight weeks out, you know, whatever it is, like, that's what I have available. And that's been a game changer for me because now I don't feel guilty um, about filling my calendar and not earning a living at what I do. And I still am creating space for people um, to serve. So I don't know if that's helpful. I stole it from Scott. Maybe it'll be helpful for you because I, I, I struggled with that for a, a long time. I still do. It's like, I always want to say yes to help people. It's impact. Yeah. That's why we do what we do. Um, but if you're always emptying your cup for everybody else and you don't fill yours, you're not going to be able to serve them um, at all. So we always want to pour from a full cup rather than an empty one. You are right. I think my difficulty to be um, really honest is how moody I am. And so I have a hard time scheduling out because Mondays I, I could be in a great mood and want to talk to everybody, or I could be in my zone and needing to get work done. So probably one of my biggest issues as an executive is just feeling uh, like I really want to work to my fullest when I'm in that zone, right? And so trying to be a little bit more last minute. And that's probably where I ask my team to work with me the most, um, to know that like, if I push things around, it's, it's never because I wanna be disrespectful of other people's time, but it's because I wanna give them the best version of me. Uh, and I don't necessarily always have control over that version. Awesome. Who supports you? Who are the people that support you as a chief and, and make sure that you're not lonely at the top? Well, my co-founder, Carolyn, is an incredible human being. Um, I am married, kids, uh, and, and they are all supportive. And Carolyn, when we got together, I made it very clear to her, you know, Carolyn uh, is single. She doesn't have kids. She's an incredible aunt, um, very devoted to her family, but it's different to have mom obligations. Um, and she wasn't scared about that. She was like, that's great. Like, I don't have kids. We're talking about executive women. You are an executive woman with kids. We bring very different perspectives. It's important for us to have both. And so the support that she shares with me, whether it's personal, professional, if I'm going through something, uh, it's just, it's incredible. Um, and I, I really think that, um, anybody who is starting a business, anybody who has a business partner, invest in that relationship because your co-founder, your business partner can be everything. I really think that's the, the basis and foundation of an incredible business is that relationship. Um, so Carolyn, incredible, amazing, wonderful human being. Uh, my husband is a rock. And I also, I think a lot of women don't talk about this. I have the world's greatest nanny. Like I have this incredible woman, Andrea, who has been with us since my uh, oldest was three months. And I have told her, like, I couldn't do anything without Andrea. Andrea helps me be an adult and take care of my kids and is wonderful. So a lot of people don't, I don't know why women seem to like pretend like they're doing everything. Um, I certainly am very, very, very thankful for all of the people in my life that help me and my family um, and you know, it's, it's hard to do everything. It's kind of impossible. So if anybody is around that can help pick up pieces that you drop, those people are the best. You know, I've talked to women that are in the workforce and that have had a baby and some of them want to dive right back into their work. Um, mm -hmm. after they have a baby, others want to take maternity leave. 
same with men. There are some men that want to take time off and others that want to go back and, and work. And I kind of equate it. It's not apples to apples, but there are athletes when someone passes away, they want to play in the game and people are like, don't you want to mourn? And they're like, no, this is the best place for me to be. And I'm not saying someone dying and someone being born are the same thing, but they are events that mm. often uh, lead people to create space in their life. So um, I'm curious for you, like, and so I had a conversation with a woman recently who had a baby and she's like, I want to go back to work. She's actually perfect for your organization. I'll, I'll, I'll send her this podcast, but she's like, I want to go back to work. Like I love doing it. Um, and I can do it. I can work from home. I'd rather work while, you know, a week out. And, and that's her perspective. And it got me thinking about this as we were going to have this conversation, which is what don't men know about being a woman in the workforce? Mm. Well, I will say I had both thoughts. So with my first, I couldn't wait to get right back to the office. Uh, I, I kept thinking to myself and telling my friends that I was just like not a great mom. Um, and in reality, I was just way more comfortable in the office getting a like baby and having it just kind of stuck in front of me. Like, I didn't know what the hell I was doing. I knew what I was doing in the office. I was great at the office. What I wasn't great at was knowing how to manage a newborn, totally different set of skills. Um, and with my second, uh, by then, and I had my second four years later, I did want to take a little bit more time off because it wasn't this new uncomfortable thing. It was, it was something I was more comfortable with and I knew work would still be there. Um, what men don't know? Well, I think, I think a better question is more about parenting. Um, and I think often women, whether they're working or not, become the primary parent. Um, I don't think people without children fully understand. So in other countries in the world, there is subsidized childcare, there are longer school hours, there's shorter work hours. I don't think we fully understand how hard it is to raise a kid in America. Um, how time consuming, how expensive, how exhausting it is. Uh, and yet we're kind of almost forced to pretend that everything's normal. And there was a little crack in that facade early into the pandemic that quickly was glued over, right? Like, oh, a kid would once in a while crash a Zoom. Somehow, some reason why that kind of stopped. And we all went back to this kind of mutual gaslighting that like kids will all be taken care of. It's exhausting. It is more exhausting than I think anybody realizes to have children and to take care of children in the house, um, to take care of elderly parents, whatever it may be. So I ask people without children to, to have some compassion and empathy, but also to really explore within their companies what companies are doing to make sure that parents are taken care of as well. Because this is something that men and women both carry and Again, because our our uh, country uh, does not subsidize anything, we have to look towards private industry to see how we're taking care of parents and how we can ensure that they don't burn out of the workforce. How many employees do you all have at Chief now? I believe we are at 110, give or take. So what do you all do to make sure that the parents are, are doing okay? Well, first of all, the very beginning, we give a generous parental leave. Um, and so that is for men and women, moms, dads, whether that is, you know, you go to the hospital, you're adopting, whatever the, the case may be. If you bring a child home, we ensure that you have uh, three and a half months of, of paid leave. 
um, and then an onboarding period as well. We also provide a career coach. So as you come back into the office, you have a coach as well, because coming back, that transition is, it's scary, it's difficult. And even if you're excited to come back, uh, the more support we can give you, the better. Um, we have very flexible hours. We, back prior to the pandemic, I don't, I don't care what your hours are. I don't have an ass and seat policy. I don't care where you are, just, just get your job done. Um, so clearly that's continued. Uh, we also have a half day Friday. So we do a four and a half day work week. We've been doing this since day one of the pandemic because we realized people were starting to burn out. Um, and we have been exploring different ways to make sure our kids can get involved as well. So peak pandemic, we did Camp, Cap, Camp Chief where we had uh, our team kind of entertain all the different kids. And we try to uh, think about different ways that we can kind of alleviate some of the stress from parents. Is it for, is I, that, I also think finally, ahead. just like being again, a compassionate leader and understanding that parents need to take the time, may not hit a deadline. That is the culture of the organization that I want to lead, right? So it's, it's not just benefits and, and how many days off you get when you have a kid, but it's, it's ensuring that you are creating a great work environment for parents that takes into account the stress, the exhaustion, the hours of raising kids. Yeah. Compassion. What are some other values that you all really care about at Chief? Compassion is big. Um, I think for us, it's really important to think about inclusion. And so again, as I think about including parents, uh, whether that's, whether that's, you know, evening activities, um, how do we make sure that when we think about inclusion, we're thinking about it, not just in terms of, of our DEI strategy and, and ensuring that we have ERGs set up and that we are, you know, investing in a, a team top to bottom that is not just diverse, but, but retains uh, diversity because we have a great culture and because we, we think about, you know, the way in which people belong at Chief. Um, but we think about the different striations around ageism, around, uh, you know, bias against parents, bias against veterans. For us, it's about creating an environment that, that, that understands that we are all different, that we are individuals. Um, and again, fosters psychological safety to make sure that we can all be at our best uh, and take care of each other at our worst. You mentioned the four and a half day work week. Is that something that'll continue beyond COVID? I believe so. We've seen that it hasn't hindered productivity. Um, we know that people are, are burning out and it's important for us to make sure that we are thinking about what our team needs. And again, if I go back to the like ass and seat mentality, it's a different, if we all take off Friday afternoon, there won't be random meetings, right? We, we gave off the few weeks uh, prior to the pandemic between um, basically the end of December. And we saw in that time period, everybody felt relaxed because we're all off together. When you take a week of vacation and you know you're missing meetings and the emails still come in, you're, you have a bit of weird work FOMO. It's not helpful. And so to say nights and weekends, we really don't email. Get off Slack. Because what it does, if you're working late, is it forces everybody else to work late. And so taking that Friday afternoon collectively, um, as many of us that can take it, we do have a, a space staff. We do have some people that we try to 
figure out other ways to give them those hours back. But by and large, the meetings stop, the emails stop. And it's really important for us to understand that like that hasn't impacted productivity in any negative way at all. There was just a, a, a massive study in Europe that found that a four-day work week had no loss of productivity. Um, I can send it to you if you haven't seen it, but I haven't seen it. Yeah, it was it was massive. Um, and for myself, it's I've been working for myself for over a decade. And I during COVID for the first time was like, I, I think I can take off a half day on Friday. And I actually think going forward, I want to try to get to a four-day work week. And you know, for me, I work for myself. Like there are times on Saturday and Sunday where I might be working on some stuff, but it's on my time. Um, and so I think for everybody that's listening to this, like it's amazing what you can do if you work for a company and have an ecosystem that gives you that autonomy, or if you work for yourself, if you are intentional about it. Um, for you, well, yeah, to go take ahead. it back to the, to the very beginning, we talked about when I was a kid questioning, why do we do that? Right? Like just because work is Monday to Friday, that doesn't mean it's right. It doesn't mean it needs to be like that. So it, to me, goes back to this root of questioning why it is we do things. And, and the root of, well, this is how it's been done, that often can create imposter syndrome. So it's all connected. That's awesome. You mentioned career coaching for your staff, but the other thing I know about Chief is you all offer executive coaching too, which is different than YPO, which does not play in the space. And I've asked many people at YPO, hey, why don't, it seems like a natural thing to add on to your offerings. And I know that because I work with so many people when they're in forum and they are becoming vulnerable and sharing and growing. It's the perfect primer for then the one-on-one experience away from the group experience. So for me, if I talk to someone who's been through YPO, I know that they've done some self-exploration and examination and uh, gone into vulnerability. So for you all, what does the executive coaching piece look like at Chief? So our version of Forum, which is our 10-person peer group we call CORE, uh, we actually have an executive coach with that group. So as the group meets on a regular basis, we have an executive coach that kind of plays the role. We call them the guide. And I think of one's career a bit like climbing a mountain. It's a lot easier to do it in a group of 10 than to go at that mountain by yourself. And I truly think of the executive coach as the guide bringing people up the mountain. Um, they, they are part coach. They are part conversation facilitator. They are part glue inspiration. Um, and it's important for that person to be in the room because as I think about time travel, as I think about how precious time is that two hour meeting, the, the executive coach's job is to say, how can we get so much impact out of two hours that it feels like eight? And so we, we love having our guide community a part of Chief. We've got over 200 executive coaches um, and we do offer uh, executive coaching one-on-one as well for an additional fee. Um, when the pandemic happened, we did offer our entire community of, of members a free executive coaching session. Um, and we just think it's a really important part of, again, creating the sense of belonging, but rooted in professional development. And when you and Carolyn set out to do this, you mentioned raising money. Why not make this a nonprofit? Why go toward raising money and 
and going toward building the business instead of the, the YPO nonprofit model? Yeah. Well, two reasons. One is we're startup people. So I think it was just ingrained in us as entrepreneurs uh, wanting to, uh, after working at Starbucks for so many years, uh, pursue that direction. I think the second answer is that just because you're a nonprofit doesn't mean you're not a business. And I think a lot of people forget that. A nonprofit, you're, you, you have to continue to go out and raise money. You are now beholden to benefactors rather than beholden to investors. And personally, I'd rather, I'd, I'd rather not play the game of, you know, are, are we, you know, fulfilling the mission of this person? They have their name on it. Chief is a business and we can look at the metrics and we can look at, at you know, quarterly results. Um, and I'd rather be beholden to the numbers than be beholden to people with, with big wallets that potentially want to whitewash whatever, you know, whatever they've done by backing Chief. I'd rather do this in a really open way with metrics and dollars more than ego and names. Well, in some ways, you're also aligned with your members. You're playing in the same space. Uh, for you, are you in one of these core groups for yourself? Like, I am. That's what I'm most curious about. That's why we're having this yeah. conversation. I'm still trying yeah. to get to it. Like, you mentioned your husband. You mentioned Carolyn. You mentioned Annie. What I'm most curious about is we as we start to like. I didn't name check my own core group. Yeah, yeah it's give, funny. The yeah. core group conversations are so confidential and personal. Um, and my core group has been, has been just a real rock for me. So everything from the stress of running chief, being a leader, being a public figure in, in some ways, raising kids, um, my group is amazing. So I, I'm very lucky. There are some wonderful women in the group that I have just found so much diversity of, of thought, of their approaches. Um, and I've definitely had some incredible moments and epiphanies where having the conversation really sparks an understanding of, of who I am, what I do, what makes me tick, uh, and most importantly, what I can do to change and grow and be better. And then you also, during COVID, you, you have physical locations. This was, we want to create gathering spaces and places, once again, different than Young Presidents Organization in that regard, but we're going to have gathering stations, speakers, inspiration. Talk about the last year and a half and, and what that's been like for you operating with one model and perhaps having to pivot. Right. So when Chief launched, we had a space in New York. We've said from day one, we are a community that happens to have a space. If you are looking to join Chief and like, you know, come use the space, it's probably not the right membership for you. Um, I don't even know if we would accept you into Chief if that was your primary want for it. Um, but yeah, the core groups met in person. We had incredible speakers. We had community events. We had workshops. All of that pivoted overnight when the pandemic started. Um, and we realized quickly that we could keep expanding and that we could democratize what it means to network. Again, time, precious commodity. The amount of women we were limited to who felt like they could come to Tribeca, meet at the clubhouse, um, have the experience. Um, it, was, it was pretty exclusive in a, in a bad way, right? Like uh, how many women couldn't get there because 
they financially couldn't live within the city limits. They couldn't commute in. They couldn't get away from childcare. They couldn't leave that important meeting. So we've gone fully digital. We are reopening up a space in New York. So we just reopened a brand new flagship in Flatiron. We've opened up a space in LA and West Hollywood, and we have a space in the West Loop in Chicago. Those are our flagship spaces that women all across the country can use, visit. Um, they're definitely more for meetings at this point, for meeting spaces, for socializing. We know these in-person touch points are so important as we network, but our core groups moving forward fully online, uh, our workshops fully online, and our speakers as well. We've kind of cracked uh, an, an incredible product on Zoom uh, where you know, rather than having 200 people in the room with a celebrity speaker, let's have all 6,000. So it's, it feels amazing uh, to, to enter that Zoom and to see the conversations go crazy from all across the country and to see thousands of other chief members engaging, asking questions. So we've been lucky recently to welcome Jane Fonda, Stacey Abrams, Ken Chennault. Um, we have, uh, well, it'll be announced by the time this podcast airs, but Martha Stewart, um, just some ridiculous, iconic uh, leaders that we are just thrilled to welcome. And we can certainly reach more people online and it allow us to, you know, conquer the world a lot faster. Uh, but yes, we do have spaces. We think they're an important piece of the in-person experience. I think of them more as an amenity chief membership than the, the platform. Awesome. Lindsay, this has been a lot of fun getting to know you. I'm so impressed with what y'all are doing and how you're doing it. And it's inspiring for me. Um, even if I will be from the outside looking in, um, it is, it's really cool. And uh, looking forward to introducing others to what y'all are doing, especially because I'm based in Washington, D.C., which is one of the cities that you all are in. Um, if people want to know more about Chief or follow you on social media, where can they go about doing that? Yeah, so you can learn more about Chief at chief.com. Chief is also on LinkedIn, and you can find me on Twitter, LinkedIn. I'm Lindsay Cap, and always happy to uh, talk, Brian. It's been great to get to know you and to uh, discuss your daughter who's going to grow up and do some kick-ass things pretty soon. Well, what does she need? Probably like 20 years and then she'll be, she'll be a member of yours. She might be living in Australia, which hopefully you will have achieved global domination by then. And, uh, and she can, she can be part of the chief membership. Hey, in 20 years, I don't know if chief needs to exist because I think we'll have completely smashed the glass ceiling. So that's an interesting question though. You, You think that it wouldn't be needed if, we had more representation? I don't think chief as it is today would be needed. I think, I think when we do hit our goal, when there are women CEOs everywhere, I don't know if chief in its current form will, will need to exist. And I, I am hoping that will happen soon. Well, that's a beautiful place for us to close. I'm on Twitter at Brian Levinson. LinkedIn's the other place I like to play at Brian Levinson. And we can, you can listen to all these conversations strongskills.co slash podcast. Lindsay, another time we'll talk about branding. My company's called Strong Skills, chief masculine name. When I was going through the branding of our company, I kept going back to strong skills and people were saying that's a masculine term. And I said, yeah, the term soft skills um, is for me like a, a weak 
phrase and people use soft skills for communication, leadership, emotional intelligence. And it's interesting that people are like, well, strong skills is masculine. And I'm like, well, not really. Like I know a lot of women who are the, the people I know in my life, my wife, my daughter are the strongest people I know. And so I, I love how you all are taking a word that maybe other people are seeing one way and then changing how they see it a different way, because that's at my core, what I love to do. And my old company was called core mental training. So core is also another word that I love. So even though we started before we started recording, I said, I don't, I'm not a marketing person. You have a marketing background. I guess I have that in me somewhere as well. I think you do. Thanks for coming on the podcast, Lindsay. Appreciate it. Thanks, Brian. Thank you for listening to Intentional Performers with Brian Levinson. Here is this week's episode gem. When I ask you to draw what a CEO looks like, right now men and women both draw men. And so I really want to disrupt what it is we think about when we hear that word, when we think about what a boss looks like, what a leader looks like. And I I want the word chief to stand for something totally different.